Well, as we get going today, I got a bunch of different stories, uh, and and uh, hopefully, hopefully you like stories. So I, th I think it'll be fun. But I remember going to a conference um, a number of years ago, maybe ten years ago now, and uh, in the Chicagoland area, and hearing a speaker by the name of Erwin McManus, and his talk was entitled "The Barbarian Way Out of Civilization," and it really resonated with me. I I, I mentioned the concept of this a couple of weeks ago, but I'm going to kind of fill it out a little bit uh, today. But the premise of his entire talk, the entire message was that God intends for those of us that are Christ followers to live lives like a spiritual barbarian, he would say, with unbelievable kinds of boldness and faith and confidence in God. And he went on to kind of unpack that whole concept. A spiritual barbarian is somebody who expects God to do what he says he will do and lives their lives accordingly. It's not always pretty. It's not always politically correct. It certainly is not in our comfort zone often. Sometimes it doesn't even really make sense. But it's sort of this gut-level belief that God is going to act, that God will answer our prayers, that God still speaks, that he still heals, he still works, he still sets people free. It's a belief that God can and will use people even like you. It's, it's a belief that he's still revealing himself to people today that he's still uh, working in unbelievable and extraordinary ways. It's sort of a belief that God's wisdom really is best for our lives, no matter how it feels or seems at the moment. A lot of new Christians, a lot of times, will have this sort of barbarian faith sort of attitude. They'll make statements. They'll pray prayers. They'll, they'll step out in faith in ways that makes those of us that have been around the church scene a while, those of us that would maybe are more seasoned Christians, might make us a little bit uncomfortable from time to time. The Apostle Peter had a barbarian moment like this. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago when Peter and John were uh, going to the temple, uh, temple to pray and they go past the temple gate called Beautiful and they see this guy begging there for bread, a, a guy that's crippled and uh, has been crippled since birth. And he walks by the gate and the guy basically cries out, hey, would you, would you, would you give me some money, alms for the poor, kind of, kind of a comment. Would, would you help me out here? Would you, would you provide for me? And in a moment, God sort of, nudges uh, Peter who stops at that moment. He turns and looks right at the guy and he says, silver and gold have I not, but what I have I give you. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And the guy's healed. <laughs> right? It's an amazing barbarian kind of moment. Peter had this unbelievable faith that the living God would stoop down, touch this guy and heal him. And he did. <laughs> Is that not an amazing story? It's incredible. I was thinking about all kinds of stories this week of people that had that sort of barbarian kind of faith. I was thinking of one story from one of the, uh, the sort of heroes of the faith, a guy by the name of George Mueller who lived in England in the 1800s. The thing that's most distinct about him is he ran an orphanage, uh, you know, a children's orphanage as a, as a ministry. But rather than uh, raising funds, rather than sending out prayer letters, rather than uh, letting his needs be known, he decided he would run his orphanage entirely by faith. So anytime a need would come up, rather than getting on the phone or sending an email or whatever what you did in those days, but you know what I'm saying, like rather than l broadcasting that there was a need, hey, would you send in your support? Would you take care of uh, the needs, that kind of stuff? They would instead of doing that, they would just go in the other room, they would bow down, get down on their knees, and ask God with confidence, saying, if I pray, God will answer, it's over. 
right? That's it. There's uh, unbelievable stories from his life. One such story was one time there was no food or milk in the orphanage for breakfast, and the Mueller's had uh, some personal friends staying with them. And so he took the youngest girl by the hand, and he said this. He said, come and see what our father will do. It's a barbarian kind of statement. Come, just come and you wait. God's going to do something amazing. So they went in, they set the breakfast table, they sat down, and they prayed. And as they were praying, a knock came at the door. It was a baker. The baker had been in his bed sleeping in the middle of the night when he, ha- he woke up with this panicked sort of uh, thought of saying, I had, he said, I, I had this unbelievable thought, like there's no bread for the children. And so he said, I got up in the middle of the night and I baked bread and I just felt compelled, like I had to come and bring those to you now. So that's George Mueller on the left. He's quite a looker, don't you think? <laughs> so he, but I mean, unbelievable kind of thing. So they thanked the baker. They took the bread, put it on the table, went back, but it, they weren't done yet. So they got down on their knees and they prayed. And before they, they barely got another word out, another knock came at the door. It was a milkman this time. I kid you not, in those days, they had huge milk carts on big wheels that they would push around town and deliver from house to house. It was the milkman. His wheel had broken right outside the orphanage, and in order to fix it, he had to lighten the load. Wondered if the orphans were in need of milk. Is that not incredible? It's sort of a a barbaric kind of faith. (coughs) Excuse me, hack up a lung here. (coughs) Sorry. A barbaric kind of faith that says, you know what? says, you know what? All I need to do is pray and call on my father, and the living God is more than able to answer. I'll pray. He'll answer. End of story. McManus goes on in his book, one of his books, and talks about a barbaric sort of moment that he had as a new Christian. He was talking to this young woman who had made a commitment to Christ in the past but started to crave her old life again, started to crave her old friends She decided to go back to living with uh, a guy that she had been with before and kind of her old lifestyle because in her own words, she said, you know, I just just didn't feel like God loved me anymore. McManus had been a believer for a few days, literally, not not very long at all, very short period of time. And he had this barbaric sort of moment where he felt like God just nudged him into this and said, uh, so he he ended up saying, if God could do one thing to prove his love for you, name it and he'll do it. He said, he said, even as the words came out of his mouth, he had this panic sort of feeling like, what have I done? And this girl says, well, if that's the case, I want God to make it snow. And he's like, well, then God will make it snow. And then he's like, wait a minute. And he's like, he tried to buy himself some time, said within the next 24 hours, <laughs> right, kind of thing. And so he went back to his room after this conversation is over. He dropped down on his knees before God said, God, what have I done? He's like, was that you? Because I'm hoping that was you. If that wasn't you, could you sort of adopt the idea? You know, because I kind of like committed you to this. I mean, it's a, it's a barbaric faith. He steps out like that. He, well, he's, he's down pleading with God, ends up falling asleep, praying. About an hour or so later, his roommate comes in and starts telling him about this crazy girl that's been running all around campus. Every, all, the, all the college students by now have heard this girl running around campus saying, Jesus is going to make it snow for me. Right? Jesus is going to make it snow for me. And, and, and uh, Erwin McManus said, man, he got pale, right? All the blood drained from his face. And he thought, oh, no. To which his roommate replied, check this out. He pulls back the curtain and it's snowing. Isn't that not crazy? A barbaric moment. It's crazy, but so often 
when, uh, when we are new believers, we have that sort, of, that sort of boldness of heart, that boldness of faith, that sort of barbarian sort of faith that says, you know what, God said it, it's true, end of story. But what happens is that over time, it's so easy for us to become what, what McManus says is civilized, quote, quote. We stop praying the big prayers. We start sort of ratcheting those things down a notch. Well, he didn't really mean that he could heal people, right? He didn't, he didn't really, he doesn't still really do that kind of stuff, does he? He doesn't show up in the miraculous. I'm not, I don't want to ask for those big things because that just doesn't make sense. We become civilized, he says. I remember uh, some time ago, do you guys remember the SARS thing that went around maybe 10 years ago? It was the early to mid-2000s. There was like this epidemic known as SARS. It was, uh, was a stand for Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. It was like sort of like the swine flu of the day or like some of those things. You know how they get all the press and all the media and people freak out and they stop going out shopping and that, you know, hunker down in their basements and that kind of stuff. It was that kind of thing. It was a new thing. People weren't really um, all that aware of what it was. It was making people sick, sort of leading to um, pneumonia and s some, some things that were worse. And thousands of cases were popping up all over the world. And there was projections of, uh, you know, huge worldwide pandemics. The CDC issued a huge warning and that kind of thing. Anyway, in the midst of all that, I can remember... Uh, reading about four different Christian conferences that got canceled in Toronto within a one-week period of time. And, uh, and one of them was a Christian leadership conference, again, made sense. Uh, one of them was a faith conference, which I thought was kind of interesting. And two of them were healing conferences. And I, I, I read that and I thought, yeah, that's a civilized move, isn't it? You, I mean, it just makes sense. You don't have a conference, uh, you don't have a healing conference uh, in a city and in a season when there's uh, pandemics going on, when there's diseases that are spreading because people might get sick, right? Now, a barbarian would see the exact same circumstances and say the opposite. They say, there is no better place for a healing conference to be, right, than where people are sick. Why not have the conference? Why not pray and see if the living God will show up and bring healing to people that desperately need it? You see the difference? And it seems like so often the, the tide is for those of us, especially in the North American church, the tide is so much in the direction of uh, away from barbarianism and into just simple faith churchianity kind of stuff, right? Just safe little things. Let's not, let's not do anything crazy. Let's not pray the big prayers. Let's just sort of water it down and get down to the minimal uh, kind of um, amount possible. It's so easy for us to become civilized in those kinds of ways. Some of you might remember uh, my Aunt Dorothy, who's uh, played keyboard for us a bunch of times uh, over the last couple of years. But my Aunt Dorothy, I was thinking this week, she had a barbarian moment like that, um, maybe about 10 years ago now, where uh, she had a family member that was terminally ill and uh, was also walking and living a life that was very far from God in those days. And she had a nudge from God. She was a fairly new believer at the time. She had a nudge from God. And so she went to this guy and said, said uh, if God were to heal you, would you turn your life to, over to him? And he said, yeah. And she said, well, I'll, I'll tell you what, I feel, I think God wants to heal you. And she bowed down on, got knelt down uh, beside his bed prayed for him, and God showed up and healed the guy. Was terminally ill, now suddenly was not. It was a barbarian sort of moment. 
A barbarian has a confidence and a trust that God is able and willing to do what he says he'll do. And they live their lives accordingly. They're quick to follow, quick to pray the bold prayers, quick to share their faith. That's how God wants us to live, friends, by faith, having that kind of confidence, that kind of boldness, that kind of barbarian faith that trusts what God says is true and commits to living accordingly. Well, we're on our fifth and final week of a series that we're doing here at Ignite called Bold. And it's a series that's all about living out this kind of faith with boldness in a fear-filled world. And, uh, living out that kind of faith with boldness even against the current of, uh, of the world we live in. And today I want us to wrap up the series by talking about bold obedience. Learning to boldly obey God. Now let me just hit the pause button for one second and say, when you hear the term obedience... What do you think? Does that, does that come across as a good word or a bad word? It's okay to talk in church. What would you say? How many of you would say, when I hear obedience, I think that's a really good that sounding thing? Okay. How about, if we're honest, how many of us would say, I'm not so sure it's a good thing, right? Obedience sounds a little more negative. Okay. How many of you refuse to participate in this? That's like most of you. Come on. <laughs> We're doing a series called Bold. You can't raise your hand? <laughs> like, come on, people. Right? I would say, if we're honest, I think when we hear the term obedience, most of us in our brains think, that's not such a good thing. It sounds sort of like the ball and chain. It sounds sort of like put handcuffs on me. I think, I think it often uh, creates images in our mind of saying, man, I want to live a good life. I want to have fun. I want to do my thing. And when we start talking about obedience, it seems like it's the opposite of that. It kind of sounds like, oh no, God doesn't want me to have fun. God doesn't want me to enjoy life. God doesn't want me to have the good stuff, to really experience the good life. And yet God's perspective, we've talked about this before, is so, so very different. I was reminded this week again, John 15. I want you to just to let the words of this soak in to you. John 15, Jesus is talking, he's teaching uh, his followers, and he says this. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, he says, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Listen to this. If you keep my commands, he's saying, if you obey, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be complete. What's God's perspective on obedience? Is he trying to drag us down? Is he trying to keep us from enjoying the good life? Is he trying to keep you from all the good stuff that you want? No, he says, obey so that my joy will be in you and so that your joy will be full. Anybody use fullness of joy in their lives these days? He says, obedience is tied to joy. It's crazy. What if that's true? What if the path to, to, uh, the, the path to joy leads through obedience? What if the path to bearing much fruit in our lives, to increased levels of love and joy and peace, what if those things are tied to simple obedience, to simply following and remaining connected to and following the creator? What if he really does have an exquisite life in store for you and he's trying to lead you there? What if it's true? 
What if it's true that he has good things in store? He's not trying to hold us back. He's trying to lead us to a life filled with love and joy and fullness. As we go through and as we talk about obedience for the rest of the time today, I, can you just keep that in the forefront of your brain? He, it's not about what God's trying to withhold from you. It's about what God's trying to give to you, right? It's, he's trying to lead us into the life that he created us for, into a life filled with joy and peace and love. All right, today I want us to dive into Acts chapter 5. We're going to learn some lessons there from the disciples on bold obedience because the early church lived this stuff out, didn't they? It's a great passage. You might remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, I taught on Acts 3 and 4 when we talked about prayer, and we talked about the fact that, again, that, that thing I mentioned earlier with, with Peter healing the crippled guy at the gate, a big crowd uh, comes together as so they see this guy jumping around and praising God and going on about how God had healed him and all this kind of stuff. A big crowd comes together. Peter shares the gospel, right? People respond. People are drawn to Jesus, several thousand. I mean, it's an amazing thing, but it starts freaking out some of the religious leaders, and so they have uh, Peter arrested, thrown in prison uh, overnight and in the morning they come and they shake their fingers at them and they scold them and they warn them they threaten them and say no more talking about this Jesus guy and they basically say well we, we can't stop I mean we, we've got to obey God we're doing we're trying to live our lives in accordance with him and so they go out and we, you remember they prayed they prayed for two things you remember this they prayed for remember Boldness, right? They said, God, would you give us great boldness to live our lives, to share you more boldly so that the world will know Jesus and, and find you and respond to you. And the second thing is they prayed that God would, would perform miracles, that he would pour out uh, his spirit and do some amazing things again so that others would be drawn to Jesus. Well, we're going to pick up the story uh, where that one left off. So this is Acts chapter 5. We're going to start with verse 12. It says this. Since the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. These are answers to prayer. All the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. Says, as a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Is this like an amazing era in the church? Is God doing some cool stuff? Amazing kinds of things. Verse 17. Then the high priests and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. It's jealousy part two here. They arrested the apostles, put them in a public jail. Second time they've been arrested. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. A couple of comments here, and then we'll go on. First one is this. I just want you to remember, again, we just, we just did a, a recap of the story, but they've already been arrested once, right? They've been warned, don't talk about this Jesus anymore. They come back, and they pray, and, uh, and uh, God works and answers those prayers in unbelievable ways. They've already chosen to boldly obey by going back out again. And you just got to remember, I mean, I mean, this is dangerous stuff. This could cost these men and women their lives or their freedom. It's a huge deal. And so they step out boldly. They obey God. They go back out a second time. God works in amazing ways. He shows his power. People are being healed, right? The, they, they've been arrested. They've been thrown in jail. They're brought out free. 
God is working in unbelievable kind of ways. And the first thing I just want us to, to talk about and remember here is that bold obedience releases God's power. I can't say that it happens every time like this. It's not like a formula. But throughout the pages of Scripture, again and again and again and again and again, it's true. It's true in our lives, too. As we align our lives with God, as we say yes to his plans, to his purposes, when we, when we choose to obey, he says in his word when we choose to obey the promptings of his spirit we get to see God's power and presence more it's an amazing thing it really is bold obedience releases God's power and we get to see him work in unbelievable ways remember an instance of this in our lives when uh, about the time Lizzie was born so it's a while ago now um uh, we went through a, a kind of a financially uh, hard season for us. Um, I remember within a two-week period of time, uh, we had something, I can't even remember why, but something weird happened, and I can't remember if it's our insurance or something, but, but our house payment went up like 150 bucks a month. Um, the uh, hospital bill started coming in from uh, Lizzie's uh, birth, and for some reason, one of the days in the hospital, they decided they weren't going to cover. And so there was like, our, our medical expenses were like maybe 20 or 30% higher than what we were expecting. Uh, we had, uh, I think we had two flat tires within a two-week period of time. I had to put on three new tires. Uh, we had some extra bills that kind of came in. All told, we had several thousand dollars of extra uh, bills come in. And we were sort of like, oh my goodness, we didn't have the means to pay them at that point. We were totally freaking out, totally like panicking, that kind of stuff. At, at that time, I was the one that was paying the bills, and I can remember sitting down, and we had made a decision years earlier that we were going to be tithing kind of people, that we were going to take our first, uh, uh, because we loved God, because we honored him, because we wanted him to be first in our lives and in our finances, we would take our first 10% of every, uh, of every uh, check that we made, and we would um, give that back to God first. And so we had always done that in this era, and I, I forgot to mention as well the other thing, is there was also a, a, a possibility that we wouldn't get paid from the church, one of our checks in that era. And so every check was like precious, and we were like, ah! And I can remember sweating and stressing and wrestling with God over this whole deal of saying, should I write out the check or should I not? I mean, it was, it was uh, one of those faith-stretching sort of moments. And I can remember just wrestling and agonizing over that. And yet, and yet we kind of made the decision and said, well, I mean, we, f we know this is what God says. Uh, we, it's our own conviction. We feel like God personally has spoken to us about it. And so we're like, we're going to do it. And so we did it by faith. We'd write out the check. First thing, we'd, we'd throw it down. And I have to say, we got to see God provide in some unbelievable ways. After we, after we wrote those checks, we hit our knees, basically, and said, God, we're trusting you with our finances. We're putting you first, but you got to help us. There's no way. This just doesn't make sense. It doesn't work on our own. And I remember within a, a, about two-week period of time after that, we saw God provide for us in miraculous kind of ways. Several thousand dollars extra came in. Uh, it, I mean, and I should mention as well, we never even told anybody that we were going through this crisis. <laughs> and uh, just amazing kind of stuff. I, I think I shared this once before, but I mean, even we went to a conference in this era uh, and a, a, an envelope full of money showed up underneath our door, cash, with a note that said, hey, we feel like this is from God for you. Stuff like that. 
Thousands of dollars got provided. We were blown away. We feel like we stepped out in obedience and we got to see God's power, but it doesn't end there. We took, uh, I mean, we always give the first 10% of our, our income, but we kind of felt like, hey, even these gifts that have been given to us, we kind of felt the nudging like we want to, you know, again, I just out of thanks and out of in worship, we wanted to give a, a tithe from that back as well. And we had a friend that was raising funds to go be a missionary in Central Asia, uh, uh, and uh, and we kind of felt a nudge like, hey, why don't you take some of that and, and send it to her? And so we, we took that, wrote out a check, sent it off. A couple weeks later, we, we got a response back from her. And she said, you know what? This fundraising gig has been really hard. And she said, I've put in everything I have. I've uh, raised as much, as many funds as I, as I have. She said, I, I'm, I'm one week away from going. And I checked my account yesterday, and I was... Uh, I was $197 short, and she's like, and it's to the point, like, I had to have the full amount to be able to go, and she's like, I just prayed and cried out and said, God, I'm, I'm, I'm just done, and she said, and uh, I, I just really had this assurance that God was going to take care of me. She said, the next day, your check showed up. I, uh, isn't that cool? I mean, I... It's something that, like, we, we didn't, we lacked the resources to be able to actually give it to her. God had blessed us in the first place, and then we took that tithe, uh, tried to obey him, and give it to somebody else. And I got to say, we experienced blessing as a result. We got to see his provision, his care, his power in our lives. And then we also got to see his provision and power even as we gave stuff away. And that's sort of the way it is. Bold obedience releases God's power. There's, I could tell you story after story after story like that. But when we obey God, when we follow through on his word and we follow his promptings, we get to see him work in us and sometimes through us. We get to experience his power more. It's amazing. So that's the first thing I want you to see. These disciples were choosing bold obedience, and as a result, they were seeing God work in amazing kinds of ways. God is healing people. He's walking them out of prison, setting them free. But the second thing I want you to notice here is how scary it would have been for these disciples to obey God. I mean, they've been locked in the slammer, right? They've been beaten at this point. They've been threatened two separate times, right? not to do this anymore. The, the temperature of these religious leaders, their jealousy level is going up and up and up and up and up and up. And they're on their faces. They're praying before God. God, would you free us from this jail, right? Because they're, they're arrested. They don't know what's going to happen. And so God miraculously answers. He leads them out of jail. And, and as soon as they're, they're out of jail, the very next sentence he says this, okay, here's the plan. Because they're like, we're free, we're free, we're free. And he's like, okay, now I want you to go back into the courts and I want you to start proclaiming the gospel again. I want you to, I want you to tell people about Jesus, the very thing that had gotten them arrested twice, that had gotten them beaten once already. Can you, you think that'd be scary? Like, but God, yeah, but God, <laughs> uh, you know, just, don't, don't you remember we were praying that you'd set us free? And you did, and isn't it amazing? Let's just live in that freedom, right? He says, no, no, I, I have more plans for you. He says, I want, just trust me and follow me. And he sends them back out to do the very thing that got them arrested and beaten the first time, first two times. It's a huge step of faith, and that's, that's always true. I think obedience might take more boldness of heart, might take more boldness of faith than almost anything else. It's tough sometimes to live this stuff out in the real world. 
This was not playing it safe. This was a barbarian moment. God was asking something of them that would require great boldness to obey. Well, what happens? Let's read on. Verse 21 says this, at daybreak, right, first thing in the morning, they entered the temple courts as they had been told. So what does that mean? It means they obeyed, right? They, first thing in the morning as they entered the temple courts as they had been told, they began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, well, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss. They were dumbfounded. They had no idea what to say, wondering what this might lead to. Verse 25. Then someone came and said, look, the men that you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They didn't use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Verse 27, the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, in Jesus' name, they said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Verse 29, Peter and the other apostles replied, listen to this, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than human beings. Man, that's good stuff. Say that with me for a second. Just, let's just use the term uh, men or man, uh, just man in general. If we can, it's a little easier to say than human beings. You, say, you know what I'm saying? But just say this with me. We must obey God rather than man. Say it one more time. We must obey God rather than Man, you know, it seems like so often we get these, this screwed up, don't we? It seems like so often we obey and get swept away by and go along with anything else other than God. We follow culture rather than God. We follow our own desires and wants rather than God. We follow the crowd sometimes rather than God. It takes great faith. It takes tremendous boldness and confidence in God to obey him and to follow him like that, to go against the crowd, to go against the values and the priorities of our culture. It takes unbelievable boldness. It takes boldness to choose to be pure sexually before marriage in this culture, doesn't it? To choose to obey God in that area requires tremendous courage and boldness. It takes amazing boldness to live below your means, to, to say no to and not get all the little toys that everybody else is getting so that, you can, so that you can live under the radar of debt and choose instead to be generous with your resources. That takes courage, doesn't it? When, every, when the tide of culture is saying, no, but you need the latest iPhone, you need the latest toys, you need to have this, and this. your house should be bigger and bigger and bigger, right? Your car should be nice, everybody else has nice, I mean, come on, go ahead, charge it up, you need those clothes, right? You need, you need that stuff, you need to go to Best Buy, you need to go to Menards, just get whatever you want, come on, everybody else is doing it, the, the tide is sweeping that way, it takes courage, it takes boldness, it takes sort of a barbarian moment to say, you know what, I'm going to live below my means, and I'm going to learn to to give rather than take. I'm going to learn to walk in freedom and contentment rather than the give me, give me, give me culture. It takes, it takes courage. 
It takes boldness and courage to forgive people that have hurt you deeply, even when you don't want to. It takes boldness to turn the other cheek, does it not? Man, that is countercultural like crazy. It takes courage to step up and pray for healing for somebody when you sense a prompting from God. It takes boldness to share about Jesus with somebody when God nudges you to do so. It takes a bold faith and a bold obedience to step up in leadership or to serve in an area that might stretch you, that might be beyond your comfort zone in one way or another. It takes a bold obedience to say we must obey God rather than man. You know, I was thinking of so many other biblical examples this week of people that lived with that kind of mantra. We must obey God rather than man. Man, that's, we're following God. We know it's going to be countercultural. We don't care, right? We're going to follow him come what may. I was thinking of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember the scene, right? So, some of you do anyway, that... Uh, the king sets up this huge statue, this idol of sorts, and say, okay, here's the deal. It's an, it's an idol of me. <laughs> right? He says, now when, I, when the trumpets sound and all the noise goes off, I want you all to bow down and worship me. Won't it be great? Right? This is a, this is a king's idea. And uh, so they, they sound off the music, and everybody, right, that's there, every, there's hundreds or thousands of people assembled. All of them bow down and worship except three. There's three that remain standing, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <laughs> and the king's standing up there right up front going, huh, I see you. Like, come here. So, so he has them sent, brought up front, and uh, they stand before him. He said, maybe you didn't hear, right? Here, here's your choices. You can bow before me, or I will throw you into the furnace, and you will burn. Bow or burn, he says. That's literally what he says. Bow or burn. And so they, they set off the, the music once again. Again, everybody else bows down, and three, these three are standing. They remain, and they say, you know what? This is, this is their comment. I thought this is great. They said, here's their response. Oh, king, our God is able to save us, but even if he does not, we want you to know, oh, king, that we will not bow down before you. We will not worship the idol that you have set up. Man, you think that required boldness? You think that required courage? You know, what, you know what they're saying in effect? They're saying we must obey God rather than men. Man, God has told us that we will bow before no one but him. And so we will not bow. It takes, it's bold kind of obedience. Or Daniel, right, is a very similar kind of thing when the king makes an edict that you can't pray to anybody but him. This guy seriously has some Messiah complex issues, right? I mean, you can't pray to anybody but me. He says, if you, if you do, then uh, here's the deal. You're going to be taken and thrown into a den of lions. And you'll be eaten alive. And Daniel went home the same way he always did. He went, bowed down, prayed to his God, and of course, it was a trap. He was arrested, given, you know, taken down by the den of lions. And again, it's, it's a way he's, he's making a statement. He's saying, you know what? Here's the deal. I must obey God rather than man. Or I was thinking of Paul in the New Testament. Saul, we talked about him last week, who was uh, prompted to go back to Jerusalem to minister and to share the gospel there. And it became evident as he's, as he's on his way that he's going to be arrested if he shows his face in Jerusalem again. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be bound. He might even be killed. And his friends, his co-workers find out about this and they start urging him, say, don't go to Jerusalem. Right? If you go there, they're going to arrest you. It's going to be terrible. Stay here with us. Take it easy. You don't have to go where it's hard. And, and Paul, his response is, he says, uh, he says, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? 
heart. He says, I'm, will, I'm ready and willing to not only be bound, but to die for the Lord Jesus. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I must obey God rather than man. I'll tell you what, friends, we have made up our own false version of Christianity in this country sort of a comfy, cozy version of Christianity that says, I don't really need to obey God's word. I don't really need to follow him like that. I'll just sort of live my own life. I'll do life my own way, and I'll just mix in a little church, mix in a little Jesus, mix in a little religion here and there when I want to. So I'll go to church. I'll hear the message. I might even open up God's book and and read a little bit from there, but I'm going to decide if and when I will obey and when and if I won't. I'll decide which ones I want to do and which ones I don't. It's sort of a smorgasbord approach to Christianity. If it's something that's outside my comfort zone, if it's something that's too risky, if it's not in line with what I want or I desire, if I, if it might make me look bad, if it's hard or sacrificial, then I just won't do it. And we think that's okay, but friends, listen, that is not biblical Christianity. That is, that has nothing to do with the Christianity that's described in the pages of this book. The early church understood that following Jesus required bold trust and bold obedience. That's the life of faith, right? It requires bold faith. There's always a link between faith, what we believe, and our actions. Boldness is behavior born out of belief. Boldness is sort of faith in action, where our, our, our actions reveal what we really believe. If we real, really believe that God's way is best, if we really believe that he's alive, if we really believe that there is an eternity awaiting us, and that his power and provision and presence is more than enough for us, then we will live with boldness. These disciples have seen, they've experienced a risen Savior. They believe that he's good. They believe that he holds all power, that he's able to deliver them from prison, that he's able to heal their diseases, to raise the dead, and on and on. He's promised to be with them now, and he's promised them eternal life in the age to come. Of course you'd follow him. Of course, right? You'd you'd go where he leads. Of course you would obey Man, if we could just develop hearts and perspectives like those of those early Christians to have hearts that say we must obey God rather than man. Man, that's where life is at, is by following where he leads. Will it require me to step out of my comfort zone sometimes? Absolutely. I guarantee it. All the time, in fact. Will it go beyond, uh, you know, my little safe, little comfy Christi- Christianity? Will it require sacrifice sometimes when you don't feel like it? Will it require scary things sometimes to follow him and say, man, I don't know how this is going to work out if God doesn't show up. Absolutely. It's the realm of faith, right? This is the realm that God calls every Christ follower into. He says, man, this is, this is the life that you're made for. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. It's not safe churchianity. It's not what we've made it in the West, but this is what it looks like. This is real life with Christ. He says, come and follow me. Come and, it's going to require obedience. Come and obey me. Trust me. I've got your good in mind. Remember, I want you to come and follow me, obey me, so that life will go well for you, so that my joy can be in you, and so that your joy may be complete. Now, this can look like a bunch of different things. 
can it? I don't know. I mean, I don't know specifically uh, what God might be saying to you today. I mean, it could be an area that there's an area of sin in your life. And the truth is, you know what God says about it. You know what God wants for it. He's been clear with you. He's been, he's been saying to you over and over and over, this is an area you need to trust and you need to obey. You need to come back. You turn away from your sin. Turn back to me. Say you're sorry to God and then, and then, uh, and then live a new life. Walk in a different direction. Maybe there's an area of sin in your life like that and God's been nudging you and speaking to you and saying, trust me, trust me, trust me. And maybe it's time to just surrender that back to him and say, okay, God, I'm going to follow. I'm going to obey, but you got to help me, right? I want to follow. I want, I want your will to be done. Maybe there's a, a particular area that God's just stretching you or calling you, calling you to something countercultural. Maybe there's somebody around you that God's nudging you. They're going through a hard time and God's nudging you and saying, would you help take care of some of their needs? Maybe there's somebody that can't pay the bills and they're saying, saying would you be generous? to them. And you're like, God, but I don't even have enough. How is this, how is this possible? How is this going to work? And God's saying, would you trust me and obey? Maybe there's some bold sharing of your faith kind of stuff. Maybe there's some people around you going through a rough time, and God's just nudging you and encouraging you and saying, man, would you love on them? Would you build some relationship with them? Would you point them to me, right? Would you, w- would you speak to them? Would you, whatever, would you invite them to Easter next week? I, I can tell you, as our family, we have been stretched a lot this week as, as God's been nudging us to invite some people to the Easter service, some people that uh, aren't really into the church thing at all. And it's a risk, but God's, God's saying, would you trust me and would you obey? Because, man, that's where the good stuff is. That's where we get to see God's power and presence at work is as we align ourselves with him. So maybe there's something like that that God's speaking to you about. I don't know what it is. But my prayer and my hope as we've gone through this series is that we would become people who are bold, Right? Who, who boldly follow and believe and obey and trust Jesus with our lives. Come what may. That we would be people that like those early followers would say, we must, we are compelled to follow Jesus no matter what. We must obey God rather than man. Could have to do with you know, maybe there's a personal purity issue for you. Maybe there's something that you're watching on the internet or, or on TV that you know God's nudging you on and saying, man, it's time. Maybe there's some financial things. Maybe there's some relational things. Maybe the, the words that are coming out of your mouth are doing damage and you know you need help. You know you need to turn over. You know you need to head in a different direction, but you've been fighting him on it. Maybe today the living God is nudging you and saying, man, it's time to step up, to make a bold move to turn back to God this morning and say, God, forgive me. I've been fighting you on this. Would you help me, strengthen me, and teach me to obey? I'll get some help. I'll do whatever needs to happen, but I want to follow you and obey. Friends, that's where life is at. That's where the good stuff is at. The early church got this and lived with tremendous boldness. My hope and my prayer is that we do too. Let's let's, uh, wrap up in prayer. Father, uh, we come before you this morning, um, and the reality is all of us, all of us have areas of our lives where we have not obeyed, where we have um, 
been turning a blind eye towards sin, where we've been scared by what you're asking us to do and we've been paralyzed. Maybe whole areas of our lives that we just don't want to turn over to you or whatever. Father, I pray this morning that you would just uh, soften our hearts afresh. That we can open up our hearts, open up our hands to you and pray, God, have all of us. God, come and forgive us for our sin. Come and wipe away our rebellion and our pride and our junk and teach us to follow you. Teach us to obey you, God. We need you, Jesus. Would you come and have your way? May your kingdom come. May your will be done in us, we pray.